let's turn that on. Shana, don't show the scripture, but I want the other two slides to come, okay? Gotcha. I don't want you to stand for the scripture today. I don't want you to keep your eyes open. I don't want you to follow along. I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to imagine the scene that this scripture describes. It's not from Ephesians. Uh, We'll get back to Ephesians. We've got four more sermons left to finish Ephesians up, but... uh, but this has been on my mind. In fact, I've had two things on my mind. We might not get back to Ephesians this morning because I sat down, and this is on my mind too. Now, this is a lot less notes than this, but I'm afraid I would talk longer with this. Probably develop this a little bit more for next week because God has been hammering me home with something. He's trying to help me see so that I can help you see what's important and what's not. I think that's very important. What's important and what's not? What means something to God and what really doesn't? So let's uh, close our eyes and uh, use your imaginations. For those of you who are uh, school teachers, you probably got better words for me to help the kids follow along in their minds and see this picture, but it comes from the book of Daniel. As I kept watching, thrones were set in place. The Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white like snow, the hair of his head like whitest wool. His throne was flaming fire. Its wheels were blazing fire. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from his presence. Thousands upon thousands served him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was convened and the books were opened. I continued watching in the night visions and suddenly one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Okay, there's the scripture. I hope you saw that. I've seen that picture in my mind ever since I was a kid. I think in some, in some Bible I had, maybe the one mom and dad gave me years and years ago, there was an artist rendering of that picture of God sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, white hair, the whole deal, flame, fire, the whole shooting match. Got that in our heads. Now, let's, let's talk for a second. I, like the vast majority of you, I suspect, come from somewhere else, and I want to do a little a little. Uh, unscientific poll this morning. Uh, if if you were raised somewhere else, if First Baptist Church wasn't your home from birth, okay, you your mom and dad didn't come here, and and then you were born and you came here. But if you came from somewhere else, would you raise your hand? Holy moly, Batman! 
That's a theological term. I learned that in seminary. I was expecting that, but not quite that big. Okay, I came from somewhere else. The picture you see is from Google. Google's the greatest thing going. I was raised, and y'all know I've said this before, I was, I was raised at the Davis Chapel Baptist Church in Austell, Georgia. Davis Chapel started in that little white building on the left-hand side. That's Davis Chapel. It was started by somebody by the name of Davis. And they built a chapel. And they named it Davis Chapel. That, my Sunday school class, when I was a student, met in that little bitty building for a period of time where this building is on the right you see all that parking lot there was an old wooden structure there that was our original church uh, after the chapel they they built this facility and then uh, they built the other one and they tore that one down and, and they turned it into a parking lot now show me the second slide Shana second slide I wanted you to see this this because this is an aerial view of, of what we saw. And just to help you get your bearings, there's the main church building up there. The chapel's off to the left. We used to play, I know, I'm going to die and go to hell because of it. We used to play hide and go seek in that cemetery. See, it's one of those cemeteries that had gravestones that stuck up. And you could hide behind those bad boys. There were some low spots. And we knew where the low spots were. They'd never find you. You get hot, boy, we had a good time out there. We had, are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? We had an Easter egg hunt in the cemetery. Now you tell me some old blue-haired lady didn't wig out over that one, huh? My ancestor, I know, yeah, whatever. Notice, you can't see it real good here, but the name, oh, down here at the bottom, at Shipping Point, that was my Uncle Walt's grocery store, was down here at the bottom. The top up there says, Warriors for Christ Global Ministries, pointing at that building. And then over here, which ought to be pointing at that building, but for some reason they got it out in the middle of the road, is Église Chrétienne de la Grasse, I think is how you pronounce it. It's Haitian, a Haitian church and the Warriors for Christ Global Ministries share that building right there, which when I was there was the Davis Chapel Baptist Church. You see, Davis Chapel Baptist Church don't exist anymore. They, they forgot why they started years and years ago. They lost sight of the fact that the reason they're a church was to fulfill the great commission of Christ. They forgot why God called them to be a church in this particular location. They forgot that there were other people in that location besides them. Obviously, some Haitians, since it's now a Haitian church. They forgot and lost sight of why they were a church and in a sense, we could, we could quibble about words here, but it would just be quibbling about words. The sense is right. God lost sight of them. So, Randy, God never lose sight of us. Read, read Romans 1. Romans 1 scares me to death because God says, you know what? Y'all have chosen to do what you've chosen to do, so I'm just going to let you. So it's not that he doesn't see you. It's just that he says, go, go, have a good time. 
Y'all have done that with your kids. I've done it with my kids before. Know that it's going to hurt. You know, they're not going to get killed, but it's not going to turn out like they think it is. And you just lean back and say, go, go. I told you the story about Ben and the vanilla extract, right? I told y'all that. Ben, vanilla extract contains a lot of, I'll get killed for telling a story, I know, uh, contains a lot of alcohol. I think it says like 17% alcohol. That means it's 34 proof. And Ben saw that as a young little boy, and he kept saying, I wonder what that tastes like. I wonder what that tastes like. I wonder, and I kept saying, it tastes awful, it tastes awful, it tastes awful. And he kept on until finally I said, take a shot off the bottle. Just grab that bottle and take a shot and see how it tastes, son. And he did, and to this day, he says, Daddy, I cannot believe you let me do that. (laughs) Well, you wanted to. Well, that's what happened to Davis Chapel Baptist Church. That's not what we're here to talk about, but it does fit in with the flow of things. See, back in the day, Davis Chapel was a thriving church. I went to Lindley Junior High School. Lindley Junior High School was a little bit of of an odd sort of school to me because it was a junior high school. None of us had driver's license. None of us were old enough to have driver's license, but it had the largest paved parking lot I've ever seen. Hundreds of cars could park in that parking lot for children that couldn't drive. It never made sense. I figured the architect was probably in cahoots with a paving company or something. I don't know. But that's where we played softball. That was our softball field. So you didn't slide into a base. And nobody made any heroic catches because if you did, you were going to come up with asphalt burns all over your body. We just, it didn't happen. So this particular spring morning, we go outside to play softball, and there's this black, or this column of black smoke off in the distance, and I'm asking what it is, and some of the students are asking, they ask the teachers. As happens, Austell was a smaller town back in those days. Somebody already knew that the Davis Chapel Baptist Church was on fire and was burning to the ground. I can remember the day that I drove up, or I didn't drive up, Daddy drove up, I was riding with Dad, drove up to see the church after it had burned down. Old-style church, shotgun-style, y'all know what I'm talking about. Long, long building. The the basement was the fellowship hall. Y'all remember all those? Every church was made about the same way. It would hold three, four hundred people. It's a pretty sizable church. Fire destroyed everything. I mean, everything. There was, there was nothing left. The walls had caved in. The steel beams that had been up in the, in the ceiling that covered by the ceiling so you didn't see it, the steel beams that held the roof up were just twisted in, a, in this scrap metal laying in the middle of, of, of what was, used to be the basement. Everything I remembered was gone. The baptistry where I was baptized don't exist anymore. It was burnt up. My Sunday school rooms, my discipleship training rooms, everything was gone. It's just gone. So they went through the rubble to see what they could find. And the only thing that they could find, it's a Baptist church, was the offering plates. (laughs) Everything else was gone. They couldn't salvage anything but the offering plates. And they used those offering plates every Sunday until we rebuilt the building you saw a minute ago. They used them. They were a little bent from the heat, a little bit discolored, which was really cool because then you're passing them down the aisle reminding everybody, you know, we got to rebuild, we got to give, we got to give. It was a great, it was a great thing. 
They were all that was left. You see, the, the only thing that can survive fire are things that are built to survive fire. The only thing that can last through a fire are things that are built out of materials that cannot be consumed by the fire. In the Bible, there are at least three places where men were given a vision of God on his throne. There were at least three, maybe more. I don't think I remember more than that. I think there's three. Isaiah was the first vision. It was given around 700 B.C. You can find it in Isaiah 6. You need to go home and read to make sure that I'm not, I'm not leading you astray. Go home and read that. You'll remember it as you go through. Isaiah 6, when you read it, you find out that Isaiah's first response when he recognized that he was standing in the presence of a holy God, his first response was to say, I am going to die. I am a man, y'all remember this, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among people of unclean lips. And I'm going to die because I've seen God. So his first response of seeing God, a vision of God on his throne, a holy God and the first thing he thought of the first thing he thought of when he saw the holiness of God was how sinful he was you understand you see then we get to the second vision second vision is what I read a few minutes ago it's from Daniel it occurred in about the 500 BC area and it sticks out in my mind because of the image of fire he says, as I kept watching, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white like snow, and the hair of his head like whitest wool. His throne was flaming fire. Its wheels were blazing fire. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from his presence. Thousands upon thousands served him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was convened and the books were open. A river of fire was flowing. Do you, can you see that image in your mind? That he is, he is on the throne. There's fire all around him. And there is a river of fire. A river of fire emanating from that throne. Revelation chapter 4, John gets a vision of the throne room. In his vision, flashes of lightning, peals of thunder, boom from that throne. And before the throne are seven fiery torches representing the seven spirits of God. Seven is the number of completion. It's the number of wholeness. It's the number of perfection. So I suspect that means that those torches represent the perfect spirit of God, the perfect spirit of God seen as fire. You notice there's some repetition going on here, right? Seen as fire. When the Holy Spirit was unleashed at Pentecost, how was the Holy Spirit seen? Hovering over people's heads, landing on people. What did the people see? Tongues as of fire. Fire. When John describes Jesus in Revelation, 
He says, the hair of his head was white as wool, white as snow, and his eyes like a fiery flame. Now, we finished, we're, we're working our way through Ephesians. Do y'all remember Ephesians 1, verse 20? Let me see if I can remind you of that one. God exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavenlies. The right hand of God that's surrounded by fire. This throne room, this gigantic throne room of God and Jesus is seated at the right hand with him and there is thunder and lightning Emerald rainbow is the way Revelation describes it. And there's fire on the throne and there's a river of fire coming out from that throne. Now let me ask you something. Do you believe that's true? Do you? See, I've got a commentary. I've got a commentary that when you go to the book of Revelations, what the guy in the book of Revelation, what the commentary says is that John knew the story of Isaiah because John was written about eh, 90 A.D., somewhere in that neighborhood, or, or the Revelation was written around 90 A.D., somewhere in there. And, and Isaiah was written in 700 B.C., and so it was on the scrolls, and John would have been familiar with it. And so when he was sitting down to write, he had the, the familiarity of, of, of that Scripture, and so his vision wasn't a vision of the throne. His vision was a vision like I had last week. See, last week, we sat down to plan the baby dedication. Baby dedications are a big deal here. I mean, they're a big old stinking deal. Yeah, I mean, they, they make me, the only thing that makes me more nervous than baby dedication is Mother's Day. I'm telling you right now, you can mess up real quick in Mother's Day and baby dedication. You, you do something, I, oh, no, no, it's got to be perfect. And we're tossing these ideas around about mothers, I mean, about baby dedication. And as we're going back and forth, we got different ideas, and Bo and Laura and me, and we're talking. And all of a sudden, I don't remember who said what, but somebody said something, and all of a sudden, I saw it. And I mean, I saw it, and that's the way I operate. I, I see this stuff, and it's boom. All of a sudden, it's just clear to me, this is what we're going to do. This is how it's going to work. Blah, 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 blah. Off we go. We worked together, boom, it came. I had a vision. All of a sudden, I knew. You reckon that's what they had? Was that kind of vision? I don't believe that. I don't believe it for a minute. I believe that they went into some kind of different state of, of being and that God elevated them to a point where they were standing in that throne room. And that's what they saw. Now, the question I'm laying before you is, is do you believe that or do you believe the Lifetime movie version? See, the Lifetime movie version has you waking up from being dead and across whatever thing is important to you, you see Jesus. Now, for me, it could either be a grassy area because I've been to some grassy areas that were really, really pretty, or maybe it was a, a tree-lined, y'all remember uh, Forrest Gump? 
That's the sound of my brain working when it does that. Yeah, I just thought you hadn't done that. Forrest Gump. Y'all remember Forrest Gump and down the road where he lived and the tree lined and run, Forrest, run. And he's walking. You remember that? You remember that? It could be looking just like that. Or maybe it's on the beach and you come alive from, from, from being dead and Jesus is on the other end and his arms are stretched out to you with a big smile on his face and your arms are stretched out to him with a big smile on your face and you run to each other like your old buddies. That's what I think we've been led to believe in the background somewhere in time is playing as you're zipping across to see him. Is that what you believe? Because I can't find that in the Scripture. This is what I find in the Scripture. Is that when I meet him, that's what I'm going to see. That Jesus is at the right hand of the Father where there's a throne that is filled with fire. And there's fire coming from that throne. Now let's just get, let's, let's clear some things up real quick before we get to the to the meat of, the, of everything here. If you're not a Christian, your scene is going to look like Revelation 20 because you're going to stand before him and you're going to be found wanting. And, and it says, the scripture says, that, that um, anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. And it's just that simple. That's what's going to happen. Now, I don't want you to trust Jesus to escape that fire. What I want you to do is I want you to think about a Jesus who says, listen, recognize your sinfulness and recognize the holiness of God and throw yourself on his mercy so he can give you everlasting life and he can change you and make you into more than you ever thought you could ever be. That's what I want. But if you choose not to follow his way, you choose to reject that, Revelation 20 is yours. It's the future foretold. That's what's going to happen. And at the end of time, you'll stand before God, and God will say, you rejected me, here's what you do. And that pesky fire thing jumps up there. But Christian, Revelation 20 doesn't belong to us because we trust Christ and Christ alone as the way to salvation, we enter God's presence with an advocate. We enter God's presence with somebody that's fighting for us. 1 John 2, 1 ends with these words, says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Jesus, through his blood, purchased me from the fa- for the Father. He made me righteous. He makes me holy. I can stand in the presence of God, confident in my acceptance of him, by him, confident that he is welcoming me, that I will never be separated from him, but there will still be fire for you, for me. There will still be fire. See, lately I've been realizing. I mean, I mean, all of this stuff that's gone on here for the last couple of months, I, all of this just weighs in my mind and all these voices and all this stuff, and I'm praying, and Lord, help me. And I don't, Lord, what, help me see. So he started bringing some things to my attention, which you get to enjoy. And one of the things he's helped me see is that we have missed 
a part of our theology that allows us to live undisciplined and unprincipled lives. Listen to Romans 10. But you, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me, every tongue will give praise to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Do you understand that? And see, here's the deal, guys. That's written to Christians. That is not written to non-Christians. Non-Christians, Revelation 20, that belongs to them. Romans 10 belongs to us. Need more proof? 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. We must all appear. That's written to believers. I am going to stand before God and give an account of myself. Ephesians 2.10, you remember that verse that we talked about where before the very beginning of the world, God had already planned good works for you. For you and you alone, he has good works chosen for you to do. Let me tell you something, the boss has come calling, appraisal time is coming. The boss says, here's your job. And now he's coming back saying, okay, let's look at how you did that job. Let's see how you carried out those good works. In case you think I've got it wrong, listen to Jesus. Well, what did Jesus say? It's one of the things we like to work on. What did Jesus say? Well, Matthew 16. Then Jesus said to his disciples, those that were following him, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? And what will, it, what will anyone give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will reward each according to what he has done. Jesus said that one. To his disciples, he's going to do that. It's not talking about us being saved. It's talking about our good works that we have on our God-given to-do list. Now, here's where you get to breathe a little sigh of relief in the middle of all this thing. He's coming to reward us. He's coming to reward us. Not to punish us. For those of us who aren't Christian, Revelation 20, that's yours, punishment eternal. But when it comes to Christians, he's coming to the Christians to reward us for the good works that we've done, which I think is insane. I really do. I don't know what God was thinking when he came up with that plan. Because, see, Jesus gave his life to save me. Without his salvation... I'm going to that lake of fire for all eternity. But he has washed me in his blood. He has made me new. He's given me new life. He has given me redemption. 
He has given me second chance after second chance after second chance. I look back on my life and see all the things that God has done and how he has blessed me. And still he's got these good works he wants me to do and he wants to give me more. Do you realize what I'm trying to say here? He could say, listen, here's your good works. Get on it because you owe me. This is your service. You ought to do these things because you've been saved. I've already done good stuff for you. Get busy. But he didn't do that. What he did was he said, I've got these works for you. And when you get through with these works, I'm going to reward you. I'm going to give you something for that. Paul speaking in 1 Corinthians 3. There's a little catch. According to God's grace that was given to me, I've laid a foundation as a skilled master builder and another builds on it. But each one is to be careful how he builds on it. Now, that ought to ring a bell for you guys because I know you hang on my every word. And Ephesians 5 from last week talked about pay careful attention then to how you live, not as unwise people but as wise I'm starting to pick up a theme in the scripture here that tells me that I need to pay attention to how I live. I need to pay attention to how I do things, not just running willy-nilly, doing whatever I want, but I need to pay some attention here. He says, but each wants to be careful how he builds on it, for no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds, here we go, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones wood hay or straw each one's works will become obvious for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire here we go again the fire will test the quality of each one's works if anyone's if anyone's work that he has built survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss. But I thought in heaven everything, I thought Jesus when I got to heaven would be like a football coach. Pat me on my little hiney, tell me everything was good. Off you go, son. Here's your mansion in glory. Dinner will be at 6 o'clock. You ain't got to get dressed. Just show up. Mmm. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Let me net that out. We're saved by grace through faith. God will never take that from us. He goes to great pains in his word to make sure that we understand that nothing can separate us from God. When we are saved by the power of God, his Holy Spirit seals us forever. Nothing can take it away. You can have doubts and fears and slings and arrows and everything else that comes along. And you can have strange feelings and you can wonder. But once you are saved, he marks you, he seals you, you are his. You can't be taken away. Not a possibility. No way that can happen. We are his forever. But we will be judged according to our works. We'll be judged, listen, we will be judged on what we do, what we say, and how we live. And I don't know about y'all, but that, that doesn't make me feel real good about me. Because I know me. And I know standing before him. 
Our works will be judged by the fire of God. If they survive the fire, we'll receive reward. In fact, the scriptures lead us to believe. You can dispute this if you want to, but I, I, I think I see this in the scriptures pretty clearly that the more of our works that survive, the larger our reward will be. And the fewer works that survive the fire, the smaller our reward, which means that your reward could be bigger than mine or my reward could be bigger than yours. I got a feeling that Billy Graham is going to need a wheelbarrow. I might need one of them little bitty sacks. I hope I'll need a sack. Do you understand? This is what Scripture's saying to us. And there's something else that we don't talk about that when I was studying through this, it came out and I'm going, 1 John 1, 28, so now little children remain in him so that when he appears, talking to Christians, little children, Christians, remain in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed. And not be ashamed before him at his coming. See, as we stand before Jesus watching our works being judged by holy fire, this is where we're going to realize that some things that we thought were important, we're going to take it to the mat. We're going to die on this hill. This is important. If it doesn't happen this way, all Christendom will fall. And I'll stand before Jesus in that flame, I believe, that's the Holy Spirit that comes out from that throne will just consume everything that I have done in my life. And when the fire pulls back, some of that stuff I thought was so all fired important will just be fired. It'll be ash. And I got a strange suspicion, especially after this week, strange suspicion that some of the things that I thought was sort of kind of inconsequential, those bad boys are going to be sitting there and I'm going to be thinking to myself, how did that happen? I just didn't know. And I'll be ashamed. We will stand before Jesus, the one who died for us, arranged for us to be rewarded for things that he could simply set as our duty, yet he arranged it so we would be rewarded for doing what he asked us to do, and we will stand there watching those things that we did do disappear into ash, and we will still go to heaven, and we will know that he did his best, but we didn't do ours. Now, I'm telling you right now, I like the Forrest Gump version better because then I can live however I want to live. And when I die, he'll be at the other end with his arms outstretched and we'll run to each other and somewhere in time we'll play in the background. You young people probably aren't familiar with that, but look it up. It's a real sweet. I love the music. Somewhere in time and there we'll run and, and, and we'll grab Jesus and we'll just be so happy and he'll pat me on my fanny and tell me supper's ready. But that's not what's going to happen. Because see, grace gives us the freedom to live without fear. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. 
But grace demands, by virtue of its love and its overwhelming price, grace demands holiness. And holiness is something that we choose. And holiness is something that we get better at over time. We don't start with it. We are made holy in His sight, but we are sanctification. We grow and we grow and we get better. And we get better because he's teaching us. And he's showing us things that won't be consumed by that holy fire. Something that lasts. And you know what all this boils down to? It all boils down to how you look at God. What is your vision of God? Is he sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, rivers of fire pouring from the throne, holy God standing before or sitting before unholy people that he has purchased with the blood of his son and are now made holy? Or do you see a lifetime movie? Because one way will lead to a reward and the other way is going to leave you ashamed and that's going to happen and you know I I don't know that I've heard anybody preach this in about a bazillion years and I think that's why we have problems in Christendom all over the place heard somebody talking the other day on on television that was talking about their Christianity and it was just as right as rain and they talked about some of the things they did which were just as immoral as they could possibly be and they saw absolutely no contradiction and I'm thinking no yeah, you're still Christian. You're absolutely, you're inseparable. Christ has sealed you. But he really is looking for some holiness. He's looking for us to be like him. Sometimes I'm not. You can answer your question for yourself. Let's pray. Lord, all week long, these words have sang their melody through my mind. And therefore, Father, I am going to pray them to you now and lead this body to pray these words to you. How sweet is your name, Lord. How good you are. Death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. You silenced the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring the praise of your glory. For you are raised to life again. You have no rival. You have no equal. Now and forever, yours is the kingdom. 
Yours is the name above all names. What a powerful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. Holy Father, I pray as a pastor that you laid your hands on that you give each of us at this church a vision this week of you high and lifted up. Give us a vision of us standing before you, Father, in glory. And cause us to see what the fruit of our labor looks like in your eyes instead of ours. I pray, dear Jesus, for the children that we are yet to reach, for the moms and dads who are yet to be restored, for the sons and daughters who are yet to be claimed and made new by you. I pray they are our works. I pray, Father, that they will stand like gold on that last day. That when we stand before you, Father, there'll be people who will stand before you as our works that we shared Jesus with, that we gave a shoulder to, that we hugged. And they knew you. Oh, Father, please, Jesus, forgive us, restore us, empower us we beg you in Jesus name amen this morning come to Jesus whatever that means to you come to Jesus I'll be down front to hear your story Robbie's going to lead us don't know that we're going to sing I want us to stand and pray. Examine yourselves. The world is about to steal it away from you. Stop for a moment and ask yourself, will my fruit stand? Stand with me.